no other place in the world that I would rather be than right here with all of you. So very thankful for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to assemble as God's people on the first day of the week and to worship our God in spirit and in truth. He certainly is worthy, isn't He? He's worthy of the very best that we can offer and still some. And just a wonderful privilege and a blessing to be here with all of you. To those who are visiting with us, thank you for being here. And you're always welcome here. We certainly appreciate your presence. And on that note, if you have any questions about anything that you hear, anything that you observe, and you want to know more about it, please let us know. And we would love to open up the Bible and give you a Bible answer or for whatever Bible question you may have. Today we conclude our series of the book of 1 John. We conclude the year of 2022, as Brother Winston pointed out. Hard to believe, uh, but thankful that we have today to do this. So we will be in chapter 5 of the book of 1 John. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you there. And while you're opening to that, I'd like for us to introduce uh, this study by reviewing what we've studied thus far. I know there are some here today who haven't been here for some of this series, and so hopefully this will get us all up to speed uh, so we can all start fresh in chapter 5. So in chapter 1, John is writing to his audience and he wants them to know that they can have the assurance that they are God's people. He wants them to know that they've been cleansed with the blood of Jesus. They enjoy this sweet fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And if they keep on walking in the light, as you see on the screen, they'll enjoy the continual cleansing of their sins. 1 John 1, 7-9. In chapter 2, we emphasize the responsibility to submit to God and to reject sin. John says, Hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep on keeping His commandments. So we keep on doing what God says to do. We submit to Him. And at the same time, we make sure that we are rejecting the world around us. 1 John 2, 15-17 Love not the world, the things that are in the world, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things are a world not of God. He who does these things will perish. He who does the will of God will abide forever. So John is emphasizing both points submit to God and reject sin when you come into chapter 3 we think about destroying all doubt that's the opportunity that we have as God's people we shouldn't doubt perfect love cast out that kind of fear uh, that, that we sometimes put upon ourselves there shouldn't be any doubt we should have that assurance that God wants us to have and that's how John begins chapter 3 little children we are the children of God we're not the children of Satan we're the children of God. We've been born of God. We do not continue in sin because we're born of God. That's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Last week we studied chapter 4. We learned about God who is love and then our ability to both show and embrace love. God had that great ability to demonstrate His love for us. How did He demonstrate how much He loved us? He sent His only begotten Son to die for us. 1 John 4.10 so we are to love God and love our brethren. And that's what He expects from us. And so today we come to chapter 5. We close out, again, this study of 1 John. And I've entitled this sermon, The Serenity of Eternal Salvation. The Serenity of Eternal Salvation. You may be wondering, why do we choose those words? And so I want to break this title down with you. If you have your bulletin in front of you, there are notes that you can fill out. Again, if you're visiting with us, we encourage you to do that. And so you can take these notes with you and study them for yourselves at home. would certainly uh, encourage you to do that. And make sure you back up everything that is said with the Word of God. First, we think about this word serenity. What does that word mean? It means the state of being calm, 
being assured, being at peace, being untroubled. You consider the language of Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Paul from a prison cell said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How was he able to say rejoice from a prison cell? That's because true peace is not based on outward circumstances. True peace is based on what comes from within. It's knowing that I'm a child of God and I enjoy the peace that passes all understanding through Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's Philippians 4, 4 through 8. You'll notice there in the second place, that word eternal. This is a word that, especially a day like today, we need to be reminded the things of this world are only for this world. It's temporary. The things of this world are passing away. Which is why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because moth and rust corrupts, thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures where? Lay them up in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so here's a reminder that all that we know in this life has an end. But when it comes to salvation that God has in store, it's eternal. And that word eternal means lasting or existing forever without end. Think about what Peter said about our inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It does not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. So the serenity, that peace, that calmness of something that is eternal, lasting forever. And then there's this word salvation. And the word salvation simply means deliverance from ruin. Think about that concept. You and I, because of sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. If you continue in that lifestyle, you're going to be separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. And so we had to have somebody come and pay the price for us because we could never pay the price for ourselves, could we? So what was it going to be? It was the Lamb of God to come and take away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. He's the one who died for us, died instead of us, paid the price for us as we brought out earlier this morning. He delivered us from ruin. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, He came to deliver us from sin. He came to deliver us from this world of darkness. That's Jesus and that's why we love Him. Because of what He did for us. And when you think about these three words, serenity, eternal, salvation, the only way that's possible is because of Jesus. Think about what we read in Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. He is the author, notice, the author of eternal salvation. We could say he wrote the book on it. He's the one who makes it happen. Jesus is the one who puts the amazing and amazing grace, isn't he? He's the one who makes everything right, makes everything better. But notice the condition. He's the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey Him. Which is what John is going to emphasize here in this chapter yet again. But not only is He the author of eternal salvation, He is the author and finisher of our faith. And so our eyes are to be set on Him. If we want to have true peace, true serenity, if we want to know that eternal life belongs to us, we need to cling closely to Jesus, the Son of God. And so that kind of introduces this study into chapter 5 with that heading in mind. It's been said that the Christian life is the best life because it is the blessed life. When you think about being a Christian, does that mean that everything is going to be smooth sailing? Does that mean that everything is going to be a, a rose garden? No. 
And all of us who live faithful in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, you will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 If you think about what Jesus went through, what do you think His followers are going to go through? Persecution is something we should expect. Suffering is something we should expect. But what's different for the Christian is that when we suffer, we can do it with the right perspective, the right mentality, that I can grow closer to God because of this. I can be humble before my God, and He can exalt me, James 4.10. With those thoughts in mind, let's think about the life that we live as Christians. In the first place, as Christians, we are living the victorious life. We are living the victorious life. Life. First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who has begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? When you think of that language, notice the word victory. Mentioned twice, John wants you to know that if you're a child of God, you're following the steps of Jesus, you've been born of God, you've obeyed Him, you've got the victory. We live the victorious life now in view for the ultimate victory in heaven. Now it is, of course, important to note that word believe. When you think about this, this idea of belief, it is far more than, than just mental assent. Some say, I believe, therefore I'm saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not biblical belief. In fact, when you think about what God is saying here, through John, the Holy Spirit through John, there are three essential ways for the Christian to have the assurance that he's truly a child of God. It begins with belief. Jesus said, if you do not believe, you will die in your sins. John 8, 24. You must believe. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. 6. So you've got to have that belief. But also closely associated is that word love. I believe and I love. Why do we love God? Because He first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. And so you believe and you love what is naturally going to flow? Obedience. If I take any one of those three ingredients out, I cannot expect to enjoy the blessings God has in store for me. I must believe. I must believe from the heart and obey Him from the heart. Brother Paul mentioned something extremely important in his prayer earlier. He said, well, you know, make sure we've got the truth. Let's make sure we've got the Spirit too. That's extremely important. Worship God in spirit and in truth. I can have the truth, but if I'm not doing it with the right attitude, is it going to be pleasing to God? On the flip side, if I have the right attitude, but it's not according to truth, will it be pleasing to God? No. Both ingredients are essential. The same is true with this. Belief, love, and obedience. That's verse 1. Notice he speaks of those who are begotten of God. How is one born of God? James 1.18, he brought us forth by the word of truth. 1 Peter 1, 22-25, you have obeyed the truth, purified your souls, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. That's how one is born again. Not by saying a prayer. Not by an emotional experience. But by being born again according to the Word of God. John 3, 3 and 5. 
Except a man be born of the water and the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. We can't get around that, can we? Remember, Jesus is the one who wrote the book on eternal salvation. He's the author. We have to do it His way if we want to truly be pleasing to God. Living the victorious life, here's how you do it. You keep the commandments of God. Now notice both sides of this statement are true. We love God and we keep His commandments. That is equivalent to we keep His commandments because we love Him. You see, it's very possible to have a a Pharisee mentality that I'm going to check the box. I'm going to do what God says to do, but my heart's not in it. God says, that's not what I'm looking for. Right? It's not what I'm looking for. In fact, Jesus would say that I desire sacrifice. Right? What's He looking for? He's looking for a sacrifice, a sacrificial heart. I'm obeying God because I love God. That's what He wants. He wants your heart. He wants my heart. Not just going through some kind of checklist. If that's our idea of Christianity, we've missed it. It's about obeying God from the heart so we can live the victorious life. Jesus made it so abundantly clear, didn't He? If you love Me, what will naturally follow? You will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. So what if I don't do what Jesus says? Can I say that I love Him? Can I say that I'm responding to Him as Lord if I don't do what He says? Luke 6, 46. On the flip side, consider John 15 and verse 10. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, notice you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Did you notice the word change? John 14, 15, love, keep. John 15, 10, keep, love. We can't separate those two thoughts. If you love God, you'll keep His commandments. If you keep His commandments, it's because you love God. John says this is how you can live the victorious life. The world says something totally different, doesn't it? Go and make all the money that you can. Go and have this big business. Go and have all this land. Have all these toys. That's not victory. You want to live a victorious life, you live for God. You do what He says to do. Living the victorious life is the way that God intended us to live. Notice there in verse 3, He says that keeping the commandments of God, John says it's not burdensome. King James says it's not grievous. In other words, it's not a, oh, I can't believe I've got to do this. Well, God said to do it, so I guess I'll do it. Again, if that's what we're doing, then, then our heart's not right. Did you know that God's people at one point in time, that was their mentality? Going back to the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, oh, what a wearisome it is. It's so worrisome. It's so troubling. Why do I have to do this? Those of us who are parents that have our kids, right? Go and clean your room. Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do that? Are we that way with God, though, as His children? Why do I have to evangelize? Why do I need to be there Sunday morning? Why do I need to be there Wednesday night? Why do I need to study my Bible every day? If that's our mentality, we need to change it. It's God, I love you and I want to do what you want me to do. I want to draw closer to you. I want to be with your people as often as I can. That's the kind of heart he's looking for. Loving God for the right reason. Obeying Him for the right reason. Now it is true, we mentioned this in our introductory thoughts. That living the Christian life is going to bring about some, some troubling times. There's no doubt. No doubt about that. And it's not to say that God's command sometimes won't take us out of our comfort zone. But the blessings from obeying God 
far outweigh any suffering we have to endure. Ask the Apostle Paul if that's the case. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8, 18. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 17, Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working a far exceeding weight of eternal glory. Now, if the Apostle Paul could say all of his persecution was light affliction, what about us? Look at the perspective that Paul had. When we think about what we go through as Christians, let's remember it's always worth it. It's always worth it to obey God and live for Him. Regardless of what the world may say to us. So God's commands are not barriers to a life of joy and freedom. God's command is the very source. You want to live the kind of life that God wants you to live? You want to live free? You want to enjoy this thing called life? Do what God says to do. Isn't that what Solomon said? When Solomon got to the end of his life, you read his inspired diary. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. The inspired diary of Solomon. Solomon says, I had it all. All the wealth, all the wisdom, all the women. You keep going with what Solomon had. He had it all. And at the end of his life, he said, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's what life is about. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is man's all. That's what it's about. And God wants that for us. He wants us to have and live the victorious life. Notice what triggers the victory. Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. The kind of faith that is active. The kind of faith that believes what God says and does what God says. That's the kind of faith He's looking for. Remember what Jesus told His disciples? In this world you're going to have tribulation, but in me you'll have peace. Do not fear. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Romans 8, 1. What shall we say to these things? What shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ? We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Romans 8, 37. Let's be reminded of that truth that we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, 11. So as Christians... John wants us to know we are living the victorious life. In the second place this morning, let's consider that we as Christians are not only living the victorious life, we're living the abundant life. The abundant life. Look at verses 6 through 13 with me. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed the testimony that God has given of His Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. 
Brethren, friends, I don't have anything more encouraging than that right there. If you are a child of God, you have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are walking in the light daily. You're keeping the commandments of God. You're living for Him. God says you can know that you have eternal life waiting for you. Not you can guess. Not that you can worry about it. You can know that you know that you know that heaven awaits you. Shouldn't that motivate us to live for God? Heaven's going to be my home. We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. These truths in God's word He has given. How beautiful heaven must be. That ought to motivate me every single day to live for God. Not live for me. Not live for the world. Live for God. So I can be with Him forever. Living the abundant life. Remember what Jesus said about that? John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life. But he doesn't end there. And I find that so powerful. He doesn't say I've come that you might have life. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus provides the abundant life. You know, if your life is just waking up, clocking in and out of work, just let me get through the day, the drudgery of life, that's not what God has in store. Not at all. You were made in the very image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. You have a soul that is worth more than this entire world. Matthew 16, 26. Jesus died for you as an individual. You have value. And your life is much more than whatever job you have. God says your life is to glorify me. And you live for me. And I'm going to give you eternal life. I'd say the reward is worth it, don't you? Look at what God has in store for us. The abundant life that we can live as Christians. Now you'll notice in your Bible, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you look in the margins, you may have it underneath the verse, you may have it in the middle of your Bible, you'll notice that verse 7 is missing in a lot of manuscripts. And what that means is there are some translations that will leave this out. But I want to ask you, is there any truth that is not being said there in verse 7? Are there three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit? Do all three members of the Godhead endorse the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? Absolutely. Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized, we have all three members of the Godhead mentioned, don't we? We have Jesus coming to John who was baptized. There's the Son of God. We have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, right, on Jesus. And then the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All three members of the Godhead are endorsing this truth. Notice verse 8. There are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree as one. All three are in harmony with one another that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and through Him you can have life. Keep that thought in mind. A lot of critics of the Bible want to just explode at that passage. But there is no damage done to the text whatsoever because it harmonizes with other passages of biblical truth. And that's one of the reasons we can have confidence in our Bible. There's one author of Scripture, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. Forty different men, over 1,600 years, three different languages, three dispensations of time, no contradictions. How do you explain that? It's divine. This is the very breathed out Word of God that we hold in our hands. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's important for us to remember the world in which we live. Notice that Jesus came with water and with blood. What, what does that mean? He came with water and with blood. We go back to when Jesus began His ministry. How did He begin it? 
He was baptized. Why? For his sins? No. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He always did what the Father would have him to do. John 8, 29. And so he came by water. Baptism. But then he came with blood. How? By his crucifixion. That's where he shed his blood. And if you think of those two elements, that's exactly what we read in John 19, 34. When Jesus was dying on the cross and he, he gave up the ghost, he said, it is finished. You remember what the Bible says they came to break the legs? When they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And the centurion took that spear and he put it in his side. And the two elements came out. Water and blood came out of Jesus. There's a lot of significance to that when we think about it. But John is emphasizing that he came by water and he came by blood. We can be sure that he is the Son of God. We can be sure that he accomplished his mission. And we can be sure that if we live in accordance with his will... We can enjoy eternal life. John is building up to this point. So his ministry began with his baptism and it ended when he shed his blood on the cross. That's the meaning behind this passage of he came with water and with blood. And notice the word witness. Several times in this context you're going to find it. We have God's endorsement. We have heaven's endorsement that Jesus is the Son of God and that we can have eternal life through Him. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any more stronger than that, does it? Because the witness of man, what, what is it? It doesn't hold a candle to what God says. And that's what John wants us to remember. When you think of this idea of the water and the blood, consider the words of 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. through 4. Remember what Paul said about that? He said, here's the gospel. The gospel by which you are saved, in which you stand... What is the good news? What's the message we need to hear? Jesus was born according to the Scripture. He lived a perfect life. He died, was buried, and rose again according to the Scripture. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the good news the world needs to hear. When you consider that language, look at Romans chapter 6, 3-6. through 6. The Bible teaches what we must do to contact the blood of Jesus. If Jesus died and was buried and rose again, what must I do? Die to sin, be buried with Christ in that watery grave where I contact His blood, and rise to walk in newness of life. Perfect harmony between those two passages. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Revelation 1, 5, washed in the blood of Jesus. How does that happen? It's by responding in obedience to the gospel. Dying to sin, buried in water, to rise and walk in newness of life. There may be someone here today who's never done that. Keep this thought in mind as we continue. What better day than today to do that? To become a Christian. Do it the way the Bible says to do. So you have heaven's endorsement of Jesus and heaven's endorsement of eternal life for all those who submit to what God has said. This idea of bearing witness confirms this truth, its confirmation. In John chapter 5, we read about this court scene, if you will. When Jesus is making this declaration that He's the Son of God, and the people say, that's not true, we don't believe you. Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, you want more, you want more to that? Well, here, my Father in heaven endorses that I'm the Son of God. The Spirit endorses that I'm the Son of God. The old law, Moses, endorsed that I'm the Son of God. John the Baptist submits that I'm the Son of God. And then he says, if you don't believe me, believe the works. In other words, there's more than enough evidence to prove 
that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That's this idea of bearing witness. And those passages remind us. Again, we go back to heaven's endorsement. When Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he doesn't say, here's Moses, hear him. He doesn't say, here's Elijah, hear him. He says, here is my beloved son, hear him. Did you get any more stronger endorsement than that? He's the one that we are to listen to. We can have confidence then that we are living the abundant life now because we have eternal life in prospect. We have it stored up in heaven for us. We have eternal life. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2, God tells Joshua, See, I have given into your hand Jericho. Now what does that mean? Joshua, you and your people, I've already prepared everything for you. Did that imply that Joshua could just sit back and not do anything and enjoy it? No. What did he have to do? He had to go into the land and take it. Noah, I'm sending a flood. But I'm going to give you instructions as to how you're going to build an ark. And if you're on that ark and whoever's on that ark with you, you'll be saved from that. Could Noah say, I believe, therefore I'm saved? And not build an ark? If he didn't build an ark, he would have drowned. What did he do? By faith, Noah obeyed God. He did what God said to do. And eight souls were saved by water. That's the point that is emphasized here throughout this text. It's not just what we read about Jesus. It's not just what we read about what took place in the New Testament with all these different individuals. We can go back and look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse by verse if we wanted to. But it all boils down to obeying God by faith. So we have eternal life now in prospect. Again, in Hebrews 11, 9, 10, 13 through 16. Titus chapter 1, 1 and 2. In hope of eternal life because God who cannot lie has promised us eternal life. God the promise maker is God the promise keeper. When God says I'm going to do it, He's going to do it. Let's remember that. And that allows us to live the abundant life. Finally this morning, for the Christian, we are not only living the victorious life, we're not only living the abundant life, but John says we are to live the changed life. Look at verses 14 through 21. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. And he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Does not keep on making a practice of sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. And the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. John concludes this epistle. And I want you to notice that in verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, and verse, uh, well, the end of verse 20, the word know is found. He starts every phrase 
with that same word. We know, we know, we know, we know. Did John want us to have any doubt at all? No. That's so important for us to think about living the changed life. Three thoughts regarding us as God's children. Number one, we are God's children and He hears us. We brought this out in Bible class this morning, but what a privilege it is that I can bow down to the God of heaven, the one who created this universe, and I can go to Him and pray, and if it's in harmony with His will, He hears me. And He's going to do what I'm asking Him to do. That's amazing. But John says this is the confidence. We can have confidence talking to the God of heaven. And that's a blessing that children of God enjoy. But again, keep in mind that condition. If we ask anything according to His will, not my will, His will. What did Jesus do? Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Your will be done. I need to pray that same prayer every single day of my life. It's not about me anymore. Why? Because I'm living the changed life. Who I was before is dead and buried. Gone. I'm a brand new person in Christ. And I am to live a changed life. Now you may be wondering about this phrase. There's a sin unto death and there's a sin that's not unto death. What is John talking about? I want to bring out some thoughts here and we may on Wednesday night we have our question and answers. We may dive into this a little bit closer. But simply put, first, the sin that is not unto death is any sin a child of God is willing to confess, repent of, and handle God's prescribed way. Didn't John already deal with that? He did. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves. But if we, God's children, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You might say, well, God can't forgive me. I've done too many bad things. Yes, He can. There's not a place that the blood of Jesus can't go. There's no death that it can't go to. Ask Paul. Who murdered Christians if the grace of God is real? If the blood of Christ can reach you? No doubt that it can. So that's a sin that is not unto death. You Consider James 5.16. Confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. That's this idea of confession of sin. Going to my brothers and sisters in Christ. They can pray with me and for me and help me get back on track. James says, yes, do that. But then there is the sin unto death. What is the sin unto death? Any sin a child of God is not willing to confess, repent of, and handle God's prescribed way. There's the difference between the sin unto death and the sin not unto death. In Acts chapter 8, and verse 22, you remember Simon the sorcerer? He, he tried to buy this gift and Peter said, your heart's not right with God. He said, what do I need to do? He said, repent and pray of this to your wickedness. What if Simon wasn't willing to repent and pray of his wickedness? He'd be lost, wouldn't he? And this is somebody who obeyed the gospel. We can't use the argument, well, he was never saved in the first place. Yes, he was. Acts 8, 13. He heeded the things spoken by Philip concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ and he was baptized. He was a Christian. He would have fallen away and he would have been lost forever if he was not willing to repent and pray. That's the concept here. That's the sin leading to death. 
That ought, to, that ought to alarm us, I believe. If I try to go through this life as a Christian, I've got this little pet sin over here on the shelf. And I'm going to say, I'm going to live the Christian life, but I'm not willing to let go of that. I'm going to keep going back to that whenever I need it. I've got a problem. And there's a sin unto death. I need to make sure that I clear everything out. Why? Because I'm living the changed life. I'm living the victorious life and the abundant life and I need to live the changed life. That's what John is emphasizing and bringing out in this text. So we are God's children and He hears us as we live and as we ask in harmony with His will. He's going to hear us. Second, we are God's children and we are to be holy. We are to be holy. We're going to sing about that this afternoon. We're going to talk about the holiness of God. But notice he says, whoever is born of God does not sin. Does that mean we're going to be sinlessly perfect? No. But if I'm a child of God, I'm not going to keep on living a life of sin. It's not going to happen. When I sin, when I mess up, I'm going to handle it God's way. I'm going to get right back on track. And I'm going to keep moving forward. That's the difference. And that's the blessing that we have as children of God. That the blood of Jesus will keep on cleansing us as we keep on walking in the light. Remember, it's not sinless perfection. It's going in the direction that God has prescribed. And I'm thankful for that. He who has been born of God keeps himself. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I keep myself grounded and rooted in the will of God. Your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm going to stay on that path. If we keep doing that, John says, you can know you have eternal life. We can know that we know that we know. We know that we are of God, verse 19, and the whole world lies in the sway of the wicked one. There's a difference between us and the world. What is it? We've been changed. We're different because we're God's children. And there ought to be a difference, a noticeable difference. Let's keep that in mind as we go back out into the world. We're changed. We're different. We're God's people. 1 Peter 1, 13-16. Don't go back. Don't go back to your former lust, Peter said. But you be holy in all manner of conduct. Why? Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. A changed life. Finally this morning, and as we close out this sermon, as we close out the, the 1 John chapter 5, as we bring this year to a close, let's remember that we are God's children and Him only, Him only shall we serve. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. He'll love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. I can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and be pleasing to God. I can't do it. I've got to be all in for the cause of Christ. That last verse, we're going to talk about this a little bit more this afternoon. It almost seems like a, an anticlimactic way to end this epistle. But if you pay close attention, look at what John says. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. His point is you have eternal life before you. You have the God of heaven who sent His only Son to die for you. God who is love, that demonstrated His love for you, look at what He has in store for you. Why in the world would you not serve Him? That's John's point. Why would you serve an idol God? Why would you put anything before God? 
Does that happen in our lives though? We put something before God? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because I live a changed life. I want to close with this passage today. There's someone here this morning who's not a Christian, never obeyed the gospel. Maybe you're looking for a fresh start. You know this year's coming to a close. You know that today you, you come to the right place. You come to a place where you can sing praises to God. You can learn more about God and be with those, be with those who believe. A like precious faith. And maybe you're saying, you know what, I, I see how real this is. And I know where my life is heading. I know where I'm at. And I want to change. I want something different. I want the victorious life. I want to live the abundant life. I want to live the changed life. Here's your passage. Here's what you need to remember. If anyone is in Christ, how do you get there? You don't faith into Christ. You're baptized into Christ, obeying by faith. It's not about Him getting into you, it's you getting into Him. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. I can't have it the other way around, can I? If I want Christ to abide in me, I've got to get into Him by obeying His gospel. Put Him on in baptism. Which of course is preceded by faith. Believing that He is the Son of God. Repenting of sins. Confessing with the mouth that He is Lord. And then you are a candidate to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And when you do that, notice from this text, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That old man of sin, dead and buried. The soul purified and cleansed. A brand new life that you're able to live. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. What a thought. All the sins that I've ever committed. All the bad thoughts that I've ever had. All those bad days I wish I could get back and redo. All those bad decisions I wish I could have made a better one. God says, you can have it all forgiven. All things passed away. But notice, behold, all things have become new. A new perspective, a new outlook, a new life, a new hope. That's what Jesus offers you today. If you're not a Christian, why not respond to heaven's invitation? Why not obey the gospel today? Start fresh. Have a clean slate. And enjoy the victorious, abundant, and changed life. But it may be the case that as a Christian, you say, you know, I, I haven't been living the abundant life. I've been shortchanging God because I've been trying to do it my way instead of His. Or maybe you say, I'm not living the changed life. I've, I've gone back to who I was before. I've, I've gone back into sin. And I haven't really given all of my heart to God. If that describes you, don't leave here today with that same mentality. Let's make sure that all of us are ready. Let's make sure that all of us can hear those words on the day of judgment. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what God has in store for us. Look at what God has done for you. Will you respond to Him at this time? If you need to do that, don't put it off. This may be your last opportunity. Won't you come as together we stand and as we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, 
please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.